somebody who's navigating their own health journey, trying to understand what's wrong with me. Why is my body doing this? Like that in itself is really stressful. And I actually think a huge component of stress relief in healing is being able to kind of take your healing journey and put it in the hands of someone else to take a bird's eye view on you. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. After personally struggling for years upon years with chronic health issues that traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals could not resolve, I finally found relief in true healing through a functional medicine approach. Since then, I've dedicated my life to helping patients around the world transform their health by getting to the root cause of symptoms and restoring their body's natural ability to heal. This experience has shown me that a true state of wellness often requires an integrated approach that brings in multiple disciplines and modalities. In this podcast, I will interview a variety of practitioners and health professionals to educate and empower you on the full spectrum of tools that are available to reclaim your health and vitality. If you are struggling with health challenges and you are not getting the answers or results you feel you deserve, or you simply want to optimize your health and take a proactive approach to wellness, this podcast is for you. And if you like the show and find it helpful, be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to another amazing episode of the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. Today we are joined by Meg Gerber and we're diving into the stress-gut connection. Our world has been a little bit crazy over the last year and it doesn't seem to be settling down as fast as we would like. So we need all of the tools in our toolbox possible to help us deal with the stressors that we have been coming into contact with and that we are going to anticipate in the future. And if you're dealing with digestive symptoms, as you will learn from today's episode, stress is usually a big part of this. So Meg Gerber is a functional medicine dietitian, certified yoga instructor, and the owner of Grounded Nourishment, a private virtual nutrition practice. She specializes in chronic digestive issues, and as a functional dietitian, she seeks to identify the root cause behind bodily imbalance. Meg takes an approach to gut healing that focuses in on individualized, colorful nutrition and goes beyond the food to acknowledge the elephant in everyone's room, stress. Meg Meg has had her own personal journey with digestive imbalance with celiac disease and is passionate about how critical our stress management is to our healing journey. Her approach to gut healing focuses in on the importance of identifying the food that optimizes you as well as stress management tools that work to get you well and keep you well in the years to come. Meg is full of information. She's got a lot of clinical pearls, so make sure you listen to the very end. Let's jump in and get started. Well, hi, Megan. Welcome to the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on and to pick your brain all about today's topic. Yay. Thank you so much for having me, Seth. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, we, before we jump in to uh, learn a little bit more about the stress-gut connection, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into your profession? 
Yes, absolutely. So I am a functional and integrative dietitian nutritionist, and I practice out of the Boston area. So I actually live in Cambridge, um, but I am completely virtual. So I have a completely virtual practice, which is awesome. I can see people throughout the U.S. And I really specialize in digestive health and especially intertwining the stress and gut connection has been something really personal to my story as someone with celiac and autoimmune disease, um, really going beyond the food and looking at the how around my eating, which we'll definitely talk about today, was um, a big part of what helped me get well. So I love to really empower clients around that of, of course, the nutrition is so important, but kind of looking at the bigger picture there of how the lifestyle also impacts our health as a whole. Absolutely. It's such a, such an important thing to consider. And it's easy to get caught up in you just do this one thing and everything gets better, but it's, it's never that simple. It's that holistic approach that makes a big difference. So you have a history of autoimmunity yourself. You mentioned you have celiac. Is that right? Yeah. So I got diagnosed in 2013 with celiac. I was very much like, oh, I don't have a gluten problem. I wasn't actually eating that much gluten at the time or thinking that I was eating that much gluten at the time, um, but was kind of shocked when I had a biopsy that showed I was positive for celiac. Um, but I kind of lived most of my life with chronic digestive issues. Um, my sister also has celiac as well. And it's funny that like her and I sort of had this like little bit of like trauma in our brain where every time we would eat out, we would just know we were going to feel bad after. And I think it's just because there's so much gluten when you tend to eat out at a restaurant. I was chronically kind of a constipated child, dealt with a lot of acid reflux. And a big part of my story is like conventional doctors basically diagnosed me and they're like, here's a gluten-free menu. You're going to get well, here you go. And I just didn't really get better from that. So I had to go and kind of dig a lot deeper and go through a more tended to more of the alternative remedies, which ultimately helped me get on the healing path. So were you already a nutritionist when you realized you were celiac or? That's a good question. I was in the middle. So I was like in nutrition school, had just gotten accepted to the coordinated program at UConn. Um, so I already kind of acknowledged the power of food, but that is a really clinical conventional program. So I originally thought I was going to flourish in a hospital setting, which was totally <laughs> not my gig. So it was a blessing in disguise because it did kind of push me down the path of more holistic and integrative medicine. And um, I was sort of known as towards the end of my program, like the weirder, more woo-woo one in my program who wanted right. to talk about fermented foods and probiotics. So <laughs> well, <that's laughs> which I'm sure you can understand. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I just love hearing everybody's <laughs> stories. It's so interesting how it comes to me. And it's always, there's always a personal connection, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I am so, so excited about today's topic. And I think it's just so fitting from a timing standpoint with as crazy as our world is and has been. We're going to jump yeah. into the connection between stress and digestion, as you mentioned. Um, so do you mind kind of introducing the topic by telling us a little bit more about what stress is? What, what does that word mean? And why is it such a problem? Yeah, I think, you know, I call it the elephant in everybody's room. Everybody knows that it's there's stress there, but I tend to always hear the statement, it's just stress. It's just stress. Like I have this other thing going on, but it's just stress. And I think stress is one of the most impactful, if not the most impactful thing that's affecting, especially people with chronic health issues. What is stress? Typically, it's just the body's reaction 
to what's happening. So it's a problem when we're in that chronic, sympathetic, stressed out state. We need acute stressors so that we can react appropriately to life. But what can happen is that your body kind of primarily is programmed to think, okay, I'm triggered in stress, I'm in the sympathetic state, and now I'm going to prioritize that you're running away from a tiger because your body kind of primarily doesn't know the difference between a tiger or a busy work meeting, for example, that you're stressed out about. It just knows to flood blood to your extremities and then to shut off digestion. Okay. And so that for me is why it's so relevant is that we're essentially getting completely in that opposite state chronically of rest and digest mode, which is that other parasympathetic mode that is the goal to be in when we're trying to promote digestion, absorption, metabolism, and just overall just optimizing the digestive tract. Awesome. So, so the, as you mentioned, the sympathetic response is that fight or flight response. That's your, your brain and your body, like getting ready to flee, to run from danger. Whereas that parasympathetic, which is the other part of our central nervous system is, is that rest and digest. And that's what you're saying is so important for the gut to be healthy and for our, our, our gut to repair. And, and is that stress? So are there different types of stress? Is it just emotional stress? Um, or could it be physical? Or could it be chemical? Are there different, different modalities that can invoke that same response? Yeah, I think it's so important to acknowledge that Yes, there's different types. I think most of us think of the classical stressors as like, I have work stress. I had a fight with someone that's stressful, but we tend to not always think about the more kind of, I call them like the unclassical stressors. So a breakup with a boyfriend, a negative self-talk that you're just recirculating on every single day, a trauma in your past that's kind of unresolved or not been healed, or the physical stressors like lack of sleep, over-exercising or over-training, not eating enough. I see a lot of that in my population of like undernourishing, over-exercising really puts a big impact of stress. And then sometimes for people, it's eating too much of a high processed sugary food or too much caffeine or too much alcohol. So all of those things, I kind of look at it as this like big stress bucket that like all of these things kind of fill into the bucket. And at some point things overflow. And for a lot of people, it overflowed this year because it was COVID. And so that added another additional layer of like somebody who's not really feeling anxiety, they're throwing the news on every day. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I was feeling anxious with that. <laughs> so I think that's, that's I agree with you. It's so relevant to talk about this now because I've seen the most, the highest uptick of people with digestive issues now more than ever. Right. Absolutely. And then a lot of people are going to their doctor and they're, you know, being diagnosed with things like IBS or, you know, other diagnoses that don't really get them any answers, right? And, and, and or they're getting treated with medications that are just temporarily, you know, helping with the symptoms, but it's not getting that root of what's going on. And, and you know, I agree 100%. I, I think stress is one of the most problematic things that we're dealing with this chronic disease. And, uh, and this year it's like you said, that bucket is for people, most people's buckets are already overflowing, but this, exactly. this last year has been just brutal on many levels. Yeah. So, uh, I hope people are listening in and implementing some of these techniques you're going to talk about. Cause I think it is, it's essential. And we don't, we don't even know what the impact is going to be 10 years, 20 years from now. You know, that's why we got to get this, take it, this, make this a priority now to get our, get our stress levels and our digestion under control. Completely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And then like with your situation, you, you know, you were celiac. So 
gluten was a stressor on your body, right? If you ever mm. get, get exposed to that, that's it. So there's just so many, it's kind of stressful to think about all the stressors that are out there. <laughs> it <laughs> and, is. Yeah. <laughs> but there's hope, you know, there is. No, hope. And I think to your point and something that I related to in my journey, I think it's really stressful to be your own sleuth. Like somebody who's navigating their own health journey, trying to understand what's wrong with me? Why is my body doing this? Like that in itself is really stressful. And I actually think a huge component of stress relief in healing is being able to kind of take your healing journey and put it in the hands of someone else to take a bird's eye view on you. Because I think that can be like putting people in a danger zone over time of like that. Yeah, and I know you've seen clients like that too, where it's like for years, they've just been like not getting answers and they're trying to look on Google and figure things out themselves. And at a certain point, like we all need that support of someone taking that bird's eye view. That's a great point. And I, we see that a lot. I mean, especially I see that a lot of our women patients, you know, who are moms and they're taking care of their kids. Mm. They're taking care of their husbands. They're, they're, you know, taking care of the house. They're, they're balancing the finances. I mean, the list goes on and on. They're prioritizing everybody else, but they're they're and their stress level is growing, but they're not prioritizing their own health. And, and what happens is eventually, like you said, that bucket overflows and then, you know, something happens. They get diagnosed with autoimmune disease or, or, mm-hmm. you know, something happens from a cardiovascular standpoint, you know, all of those, those things add up and they're, they definitely present in a lot of ways. We, we don't want a lot of things that we don't want to happen in the future. So I'm excited to dive mm-hmm. into it, but let's focus in on the digestion piece. Do you mind mm-hmm. telling me a little bit bef- more before we dump, jump into that connection? Why does gut health matter? What, you know, we, is it just to be comfortable so you don't have gas and bloating or does it go deeper than that? Mm, yeah. Um, when we use the word gut health, it really refers to this function and balance of the ecosystem of bacteria, fungi in your GI tract, going all the way from mouth to anus. So I say that because people tend to just think like my stomach, my intestines, but your mouth microbiome matters. And I have a social media platform on Instagram. And I was just talking with my followers too, about the fact that like people with chronic mouth infections, that can be a sign that something's going on in the gut, like you're swallowing that bacteria down. So the gut goes beyond, you know, just that day in, day out, what we think the gut does, which is like absorbing, digesting our food. Yes, that's really important because that's going to help with your vitamin mineral balance, your ability to produce energy for you to function. Um, But it also is really the hone of our immune system. So 70% of your immune system is in that gut associated lymphoid tissue. I also think, you know, what people forget too, is that there is this really deep written gut brain connection and it really influences our mood. Um, We'll talk more about that as we talk about the vagus nerve, but you make about 80 to 90% of your serotonin in your gut alone, along with multiple other neurotransmitters. So because obviously with COVID, the immune system is so relevant as a conversation, I, for one, was really, really looking at, okay, now more than ever, it's relevant to look at your gut health and how you're supporting your gut microbiome as a whole, because um, there are usually signs and symptoms you can pick up on if the gut is off. And that's relevant to how well you're going to manage a disease like COVID and what your outcomes are going to be. And I think another thing relevant to COVID too, that we're seeing in microbiome research, which is really cool, it can impact your ability to regulate your weight or your ability to lose your weight. 
Um, so something like uh, acromantia microbe that I look at in a functional stool test that I run um, can hinder someone's ability to lose weight if that is below detectable limits. And I just find that extremely fascinating. So it is really, for me, the most natural organic place to start on someone when it comes to overall whole body health. I agree. I agree. It's just so intriguing to, to follow the research on the microbiome. And we're just scraping the surface of it. You know, I think over the, the next, you know, five to 10 years, it's just going to blow up. But whether you're dealing with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or, you know, cardiovascular disease or, or hormone imbalances, you know, there's, it's just connected to everything. And it's just so fascinating, but it's, it's much more, as you said, than just taking a probiotic and, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot to it. And there's a lot of things that can influence that. And uh, that's why I'm excited to learn a little bit more about, you know, the stress connection. So can you tell us how stress affects digestion? Yeah. Um, so more going beyond just this, this impact on the nervous system of causing us to kind of hang out chronically in the sympathetic state, which inherently shuts digestion down. But if we look at the specifics of that, so kind of starting in the mouth, it does cause decreased saliva production when you're under chronic stress. And why is that relevant? Saliva acts as an antimicrobial and it starts the digestion process in the mouth. And we can actually produce higher amylase levels in the saliva, which can cause a breakdown of more simple sugar, potentially causing a, a more of a spike in blood sugar for people who are under chronic stress. Also increases cortisol levels, which I'm sure your audience is familiar with. Um, but that can really impact and degrade the mucus barrier of the stomach, which is extremely concerning. That's kind of like one of really the first stops on digestion and it suppresses immune function as a whole. So another marker that I look at in my functional stool panels is secretory IgA and someone who's not like really chronically stressed tends to have a secretory IgA in the toilet. And that's concerning in COVID times, for sure. A big one for me is chronic stress, amongst other things like birth control pills and chronic NSAID use suppresses stomach acid. And for those who are dealing with acid reflux, um, most commonly it has to do with actually low stomach acid, but it's confusing because conventional medicine puts people on PPIs and suppresses their stomach acid just at making that problem worse. Why does it make it so much worse for me? I think about stomach acid as like the orchestra conductor. So it really starts this beautiful symphony of flow when it comes to triggering the pancreas to output insulin and pancreatic digestive enzymes. It also triggers cholecystokinin. It then also triggers bile acid from the gallbladder later on to break down your fat. So it's really this beautiful kind of trickle effect, like a domino. But when stomach acid is already low, we're just kind of starting out not in a great place. Stress can also impact the MMC. So that's the migrating motor complex. It's like this sweepy broom that comes through and helps pull uh, extra bacteria, yeast, food particles, and kind of sweep it along. Motility is so important for just longevity and long-term health of the microbiome because you think about it, people are that much more susceptible to food hanging out and ruminating too long and potential of bacterial or fungal overgrowth when that sweepy broom is not happening. And so we're going to talk to you about some tips for that. But chronic stress actually lengthens the time of food in the stomach, whereas acute stress shortens stomach emptying. 
So the kind of classical thing, the way to explain that is like someone super stressed out about a um, argument with their boss and they have diarrhea after. But someone who's been dealing with like the chronic stress of their mother-in-law dying or something like that may have be more prone to constipation. And now that's obviously not across the board, but that's kind of the classical way that that manifests per se. That's awesome. Yeah. I, you know, I have to know, I, I, I just love what you just said about digestion, because this is something I preach all the time is that, you know, there's gut health is complex. It's not just one thing that needs to be fixed. Like it's not just taking a probiotic. So many people think by doing one thing or another, or by eating clean, their gut is going to be healthy. Oh my, I eat pretty clean. My, you know, my diet's good. My gut's going to be fine, but that's not the case. I love how you, Mm -hmm. you said it's a top down approach, right? And it starts with something as simple as chewing and salivary production. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to have enough stomach acid and pancreatic enzymes. You have to have bile salts. You have to have, you know, the the motility there. And, you know, that's before you even get to the microbiome. So all of those Mm -hmm. things need to be balanced before you can expect to have a healthy gut. And if people are, if your practitioner isn't looking at all of these different things, you know, you need to take a different approach. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and this, all of those things, like you said, can be influenced by the big biggest problem out there, which is stress. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you, you making that so clear because it's so important. And uh, I just, people don't talk about that enough. Yeah. And I think too, it's why for me, it just feels so organic to meld together stress management with looking at nutrition, because I practiced at a previous practice before I started this private work. And you know, for me, I was like, this is the elephant in everybody's room that like people need tools for people need to, I want to really teach and empower people around how they can integrate stress management in a realistic way, because we can talk about going gluten and dairy free all day. But if you're just like eating on the go in your car, in a fight with somebody, not breaking up with the boyfriend, that's just really driving up your stress level, whatever it is, it's, we're not going to fully get the job done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So those toxic stressors are are huge and so many people just choose to live with them and then suffer the consequences, which is just not, Mm -hmm. not good, not good. But so can you tell us a little bit about what would, what would some symptoms look like? What, what does, I don't think a lot of people understand what normal digestion is or should look like. Um, You know, Mm. we talk to people who think going to the, having a bowel movement twice a week is normal. You know, can you tell us a little bit about what, maybe what are some symptoms of digestive dysfunction that our listeners might clue into to know there's a problem? Yeah, I love this question. You know, I don't beat around the bush with this. I want my clients pooping every day. You need to be pooping every day. It's like, third line of fire of detox after sweating and peeing, you need to be pooping every day. And it could be multiple times a day. It doesn't mean having diarrhea every day, but that's my goal is to get every single one of my clients at least going every day. And so if you're not, that's a sign. Like, are you having a lot of diarrhea? Are you having a lot of constipation? Are you having a lot of straining? Because there's also this aspect of constipation where it's like someone may be having a bowel movement every day or every other day, but they're still feeling really incomplete and unfinished. Um, that tells me that there's a motility issue that I want to kind of peel the onion layers away from a little bit more. Chronic acid reflux is a big one. I mean, Stress is really impactful on the lower esophageal sphincter, which is that little sphincter that sits on top of the stomach. And it causes this relaxation response when you're under chronic stress, which can cause food to kick back up. So 
bloating as well is a big one. And I think so many people are bloated. Some bloating after a larger meal is somewhat natural. So I don't like to say that like everyone needs to have the alarm going off every time they bloat. But if you're daily bloating of like, I need to unbutton my pants, they are two sizes too small compared to where I started my day or bloating that's building up throughout the day every single day. That's a sign of like, we need to dig a little deeper. Um, Especially when it comes to low stomach acid, I see people who are like, there's a lot of burping after eating. They may have some chronic vitamin deficiencies like B12 or iron with that. They're feeling like food is just sitting and ruminating in their stomach longer than it used to, or maybe they're having really foul gas that tends to tell me might be a stomach acid issue or noticing undigested food in your stool. Absolutely. Those are all great tips. Well, so, and, and I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people are experiencing these on a daily basis and they think that it's, that it's yeah. normal. So if you are experiencing these things, you need to figure it out and you need to work with someone who can, can get you some answers because you know, you, you know, again, that's another another topic we'll we'll hit on here is just you know how you get these answers. But I wanted to mm-hmm. go kind of go backwards and talk about something that you mentioned uh, a few times, and I know it's something you're very passionate about. But can we're here a lot in natural medicine or alternative medicine these days about the vagus nerve? Can you tell us, tell yeah. our listeners a little bit more about what is the vagus nerve? You know, it, what does it do, and why is it so important when we're dealing with digestion? It is the longest of the cranial nerve. And it essentially is the direct gut and brain connection that signals the digestive process. And according to the polyvagal theory, which is really kind of spearheaded by Stephen Porges, he really alludes to this fact that there's a dorsal side of the vagus nerve and then there's a ventral side. And what can happen is someone who's experienced trauma or trauma being chronically being ill or chronically sick it can skew this ability for that vagus nerve to scan for danger. So it's like the surveillance system is kicked into overdrive and it has this incorrect interpretation of the signals from your body. So you tend to overactivate and circulate in that dorsal stage. So essentially like the vagus nerve just kind of hangs out in the dorsal danger phase or sympathetic side, and it doesn't really know how to regulate and get itself back. And so that's where I use vagal nerve exercises and those clients where either they have a history of trauma or they've been chronically ill for a long time, telling me that there's some vagus nerve disintegration that we kind of have to go in and press the reset button. Awesome. And so tell, so what are some signs that someone has vagal nerve dysfunction? Good question. Um, I look for that more so as a practitioner because I don't, most clients don't come in saying like, I know my vagus nerve is off, but I think for the, for the client who is, you know, at that point in their journey where no matter what they do, their, their body doesn't necessarily have the response that they're expecting it to have. Like normally when they're trying to calm down and do yoga, they're still, their body is still in a state of like, you know, that fight or flight state, like they really have a hard time calming down, or they're still experiencing diarrhea or bloating. So I also do, I would say anyone who has had extreme trauma, whether that be something in their past related to like an injury or an emotional trauma, um, you most likely have some vagus nerve disconnect there. And anybody with a traumatic brain injury too, and it can even be something as simple as like, a concussion they had at football practice, there is most likely some, some need to support the vagus nerve. 
Awesome. So again, it gets back to that. The, the vagal nerve dysfunction can be physical or it can be emotional and, or it can be acute or it can be chronic. What are, what are some of those uh, exercises you mentioned? So if people do have big vagal nerve dysfunction and you want to strengthen that uh, vagus nerve, or, you know, I know you mentioned some exercises, what, what did that look like? How do you exercise the brain? <laughs> yeah. So what these are is we're essentially like encouraging this relearn of gut brain connection. Okay. So this starting out, if somebody has, is doing nothing uh, mindful, this really is integrating things like deep breathing or yoga is a great starting place because especially the oming of yoga with that deep vibration helps stimulate the vagus nerve and helps us press that reset button. If I am really trying to get a client on, say I have them on a SIBO protocol, I'm also integrating in vagus nerve support. I have clients do for a six to eight week period, one of these exercises twice daily. And what I mean by exercises is either, and some of these are weird, and you probably know some of these, <laughs> either gargling, gagging, singing loudly, or, and I do, I really don't do this one, but I have clients who have in the past, coffee enemas actually stimulate the vagus nerve. So um, gargling is, I usually tell people gargle in the shower for three to five minutes sing really loudly for three to five minutes, um, or utilizing something like a tongue depressor to stimulate their gag reflex. And it's strange and weird, but it does cause this reset of the vagus nerve. Absolutely. I recommend those same exact things. And, uh, and I know people always look at you a little funny in the beginning, but it, 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 they work, they work and they, it's so important. And yeah. it's important for people to know it's not, you're just not just doing this once or twice. It's like I compare it to no. going to the gym, right? You're not going to get buff by lifting weights once or twice, you know, it takes repetition and it takes time, but they, you, you really want to keep up with it and uh, give it a shot as crazy as they sound, because it does help with constipation. It helps with, with stress management. It helps with so many different things. So that I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I can speak to it too. I've done them myself for my healing and I can speak to the difference that it makes for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, so, you know, one of the things that I, I hear a lot in the clinic is they, they, people don't think they're stressed. They, they think, you know, they may come in with a specific symptom. Maybe they've got gas, maybe they got bloating or diarrhea or constipation. And you ask them how their stress is, uh, you know, do you, do you see people who think they're not stressed, but in fact, they are very stressed, or maybe they're just so in tune to being high stress all the time that it feels normal to them? Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know what they don't know. So if they've just been kind of steamrolling through life, they don't always know the difference. I mean, I was that person, like kind of go, 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 type A, like I'm not really stressed unless I'm feeling stressed about work is the only time I feel stressed. Whereas I, I find that when I'm able to kind of go through all of these aspects, like sleep regimens with people and what are your nutrient values looking like and what is your actual nourishment throughout the day, I'm able to sort of with a different looking glass show them that like, you know, these elements do add to your stress load. So even if you're, um, inter you're able to kind of internalize stress in a different way than someone else, I think a lot of people think about the classic person who it really externalizes their stress and like yells about stress, but a lot of people internalize it. And that for some people is even more damaging because they're kind of holding on to that and feeling like they can't verbalize it or voice it to anybody and work through and move through the stress. So I think an important starting place for those people that I encourage all of my clients to do is getting into their body versus 
in their mind because a lot of us live in the mind and the thoughts. And that's why yoga, breath work, mindfulness, sitting in stillness through meditation can be a helpful starting ground because it just gets you into the body because so many people, when they go inside and feel what they're feeling in their body, they start to notice like, whoa, there's a lot of tension there. Like I feel a lot of tension that I didn't know I had. Um, And I think that's the best way to start recognizing like, okay, am I actually dealing with more stress than I thought? I don't know if you have anything else that you maybe say to clients too in that respect. No, that that's great. That's really great. I mean, I think that's important. To, it, one of the things that I hear a lot in the clinic, and I know you do too, is, uh, you know, they even if they know their stress, they're they're busy bodies. They've got a million things on their plate. You know, they're so focused on work and family and dropping the kids off. The list goes on and on and on. And uh, they say they don't have time to manage stress. So, so yeah. what do you say to these people? Because we know how important stress kills people. It kills people every day. We know yeah. how vital it is, but it's probably one of the last things people want to address. You know, people are willing to take gluten out of their diet or weight or take, you know, a dairy out of their diet. Oftentimes yeah. they're willing to do a little bit of exercise here and there, but it is hard to get people to focus and prioritize on stress. So what advice do you give mm-hmm. these people who just simply say, I, I just don't know when I can fit these practices in. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the time. Yeah. That's one of my favorite questions for people to ask me because um, I get a lot of that. And there's a lot of people who first I mentioned that analogy of like the oxygen mask analogy, like you have to put your oxygen mask on first before somebody else, because like you got to fill up your own cup. However, so we as humans, we're always going to be eating no matter what. So I kind of paint the picture of this practice of breath work around meals that I call my rule of threes. Because I tell them, you know, you're stressed out, you don't have any time, but you do have time to eat because you're going to be eating. So let's kind of add this little thing into meal times that you're already doing to begin with. And what it looks like is it's three deep breaths, three times during a meal. And the practice is to slow down, sit down, think about chewing, breathing, swallowing, these like really simplistic practices that we just kind of we vacuum through our meal and we don't even think about half the time. So how can you just kind of cultivate that slowing down, being present with your food, even for 10 minutes. Um, And the three deep breaths start out with that and then stop later in the meal and do your best to put your fork down, take three more deep breaths later in the meal towards the end, stop, put your fork down three more deep breaths. So it's nine breaths for the whole meal. And I tell people too, you're a human. The good news is this is a practice. It's not a perfect. You have another meal to practice it coming up soon if you forget. That is great advice. And that's, you know, again, that's what we all need. We need practical things that we can incorporate into our daily routine. And, uh, you know, because that's what's going to make the difference long term. I love that. I love that. So we talk, so other than, you know, mindfulness and, and breath work, you know, what other strategies do you recommend people master or at least work on to try to get uh, to a place where their body tolerates stress better? I myself as a yoga teacher, something that I integrate with clients and that I actually have a resource on my website, I call it stress management um, therapies, but essentially I guide my clients through breath work and yoga oriented around gut healing. And it is to cultivate that guidance. Cause I think everybody kind of needs a guide starting out rather than doing it on their own, um, on going into the body and, and really noticing where they feel the breath. I think as 
we're living in a society where everyone is very busy, go, go, go. I've oriented those practices around 30 minutes or less. So they're realistic for people and they're not overwhelming. Um, But other practices that I think are important for stress, when I mentioned about negative self-talk, one thing I have a lot of my clients start on is just noticing how they talk to themselves throughout the day. Like, writing it down in a journal or um, writing it down and sharing with me in our sessions, because a lot of people start to notice how much they are their own biggest enemy. And that is not serving them. Um, That's something I can relate to in my journey early on that I would wake up every day and just think, oh, like, I'm just chronically sick and like nobody gets it. And that has an impact on your nervous system. How can we then change that story you're telling yourself because it's simply not true? And what do you want your story to be? Another thing I do challenge people to do at times. And so these are all kind of like a conglomerate. Usually people are working on like one of these things at a time, but the one thing at a time challenge, for example, if you're somebody who's like, I notice that my eye is twitching at the end of the day. I've been so stressed out. I'm just go, go, go. I don't even stop to breathe. Can you maybe the next day when you're making your coffee or your cup of tea, only do that practice for the few minutes that you're doing it and just zone in and zoom in on like, what is the color of my cup of coffee look like? What does the mug feel like? Just doing something once, one at a time without micromanaging multiple things because there's so much multitasking that goes on in our society. And it's about kind of simplifying the mind. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've all seen that where patients, some people get so dedicated to getting healthy that they're trying to squeeze everything in that it's almost more stressful for them to try to be healthy than it is to just live life, you know? So I love that Mm -hmm. concept of just taking it slow, doing what you can, you know, and and not, not fighting off more than you can chew and and focusing on a couple of things every day can make a world of difference. Mm -hmm. Well, as, as a nutritionist, uh, I know, you know, Mm -hmm. you've put a lot of emphasis on, on nutrition. Tell us a little bit about what are some simple dietary recommendations that you uh, suggest for most of your patients to help not only help with digestion, but also with that stress response, because we know that again, foods can, you know, the wrong foods can trigger stress as well. Yeah, absolutely. I always start with, before I get to the food itself, I always start with the how. So the less sexy, not as exciting things, like everybody wants a supplement, but I start out with, are you taking time to slow down at meals? Are you prioritizing your sleep? Because sleep is the best dose of medicine you can give your gut health. Your gut has its own circadian rhythm. It needs rest periods and wakeful periods? Are you getting maybe some light exposure during the day? Because studies have shown us that that helps with not only stress response, but gut balance. And then also, are you skipping meals? Kind of on the other side of things, like, yes, overeating is a bad thing, but also undereating. So are you just skipping meals all day and then shoving dinner in at the end of the day? That's a stressor within itself. And it's really dysregulating to the system. So that right out of the gate, I like to first focus on sort of the how around your eating. And then I like to look at sort of the low hanging fruit items that tend to dysregulate and add more stress on the body and also kind of surges more anxiety for people and stress is sugar, caffeine and alcohol intake is a really important starting place because you're eating a lot of processed sugar. um, And that can add up quick. I think we live in a society, at least I can speak to my clientele that I, I don't generally get clients who don't have any nutrition knowledge. Um, they have kind of a baseline knowledge, but it's really easy to have like a bowl of granola in the morning, add a little sweetener to your coffee, 
maybe grab something like a yogurt parfait or a cup of fruit on the go for lunch and then get to dinner. And it's like, that's a big sugar load all day long with no balance. So getting back to, are we having a balance of protein, fat, and fiber at every meal to really add this kind of buffer to the blood sugar, sustain your energy level. And then things like caffeine and alcohol really can trigger that spike in cortisol if it's like chronically ongoing, a lot of it. And and everybody has their different tolerance, but some people really don't tolerate those well, even in small amounts. When I look at the big bucket of nutrition and food as a whole, I'm a big quality versus quantity dietitian. My clients that work with me know I'm not, I don't label myself a weight loss dietitian. I'm not a calorie counting dietitian personally. I'm big on quality. So a grass fed piece of meat and some local potatoes from a local farm and maybe a side salad is going to have a totally different picture than getting like the McDonald's salad with who knows what chicken on top of it. So I think- (laughs) It's important that quality is prioritized and also talking with clients too, for me about like, how do we make that realistic financially? So I always think going to a local farmer's market rather than Whole Foods is always a bigger benefit because most of those farmers are doing organic practices, even if they're not labeled organic. And also you're a consumer, talk to the farmer, ask them what they're doing. Half the time, I would say most of the time they want to talk to you about it and they're excited to talk about it. Um, And they usually have more care for the animals and how they're raising them. And that has an impact on the animal you're eating because just like we have a physical impact in our bodies from stress, so do animals that are raised in a stressful environment. They're going to have more inflammatory cytokines. And when they're fed, say they're grain fed versus grass fed, there's going to be more omega-6 inflammatory fat in their body versus we actually see a higher content of omega-3 in an animal that's grass fed. So it's really relevant how something is sourced. And I think utilizing things like the dirty dozen, for example, it changes every year, but berries and spinach, for example, are almost always on that list of like, they're pretty pesticide laden. So getting those organic and maybe those that are on the clean 15 list, if you're, if you're trying to be mindful of finances, choosing uh, those items in, on, in organic or utilizing the local farms when you can. Glyphosate is something that's been talked about a lot recently because there's been lawsuits related to it. It's basically the active ingredient in Roundup, which is a crop desiccant. And we are seeing in studies that that can cause a trigger of zonulin similar to what gluten can do in the body. And there's a local researcher at MGH, where local to me, who looked into this with gluten. And we're finding a similar response with glyphosate that it can open up the tight junctions of the gut and cause this leaky gut being looked at as like the kind of root cause behind a lot of autoimmune reaction in the body. So I, you know, for me, it's not about eradicating glyphosate. I don't think we can actually avoid it. I think it's about minimizing it. So I like to point people to um, the detox project website, which they have a list of certified glyphosate residue free products on there. Um, My newsletter this last month, I had a whole article on this for clients of like how you can reduce glyphosate exposure. So those mass produced grains like corn and wheat and oats and pea products and canola oil, those tend to be really GMO and and glyphosate laden in our country. So when you can, you know, maybe reduce your grain content that can have an impact for people as well. Just as a big picture from a gut health standpoint, I'm big on polyphenols and bitter foods for gut health. If people are kind of wondering like what food categories to focus on, both of these come with a bundle of fiber and most of us need more fiber. 
So um, polyphenols being like those really pigmented components of fruits and vegetables, think blueberry, cranberry, pomegranate, even cacao powder, um, that help fight free radicals and combat oxidative stress. And obviously that's an impact that stress has on our body is that kind of oxidation response. So um, eating more of those foods, I have some recipes on my website and a, a no sugar cranberry orange muffin on my website where you can kind of see how to use the fresh cranberries rather than the dried because the dried ones tend to be coated in sugar. Um, and then bitter foods, I love them for two reasons, two big reasons, grape or liver detox, but also they are very much supportive to digestion as a whole. So they help actually tone that LES muscle to help with acid reflux. They also trigger more pancreatic and bile acid output. They also help trigger more uh, and enhance motility. So bitter foods would be things like radicchio, broccoli rabe. Endives are one of my favorites. They're like little dippable, scoopable veggies that you can have with hummus. Um, arugula is another wonderful one. So that's another, um, I try to give like tangible tips on my website when I'm teaching clients and on my Instagram so that yes, I'm giving you the science, but I just today, for example, I have a post about like how to eat more bitter veggies and how I'm eating them. And I kind of have a flip through of pictures to show people like, this is how I eat them in a salad. This is how I cook them. This is how I have them at a dessert. So, um, I'm really big on that. Like, let's get our hands dirty. Let's get in the kitchen. That's awesome. That's awesome. And oh, that's such great information. And I wanted to go back and because one of the things you were talking about is, and I think a lot of people get confused by this, especially with all of the fads that are out there, dietary fads that are, you know, people try to follow or what's cool online, like, uh, you know, intermittent fasting, for example, you know, you mentioned that some people just aren't eating enough. And I know this is something I see in my practice. And it sounds like you do too, where, you know, you got a high stress, busy person, adrenal fatigue, and they, you know, they want to do the coolest thing. So they decide that they're not going to eat all day and they're going to intermittent fast. And then, you know, it wrecks them. Whereas, you know, someone who may have some insulin resistance and some metabolic issues, they may do really well on intermittent fasting, you know? So it's just yeah. so important. Like you, it goes back to that, what you said in the very beginning, you need to work with someone who can help you figure this stuff out because you Absolutely. can't do, it's hard to do it on your own and you get so much information online. It's overwhelming. You don't know what to trust. You know, everybody's trying to sell something. You've got to, you really have to figure out, you know, work with someone who's going to help you individualize it and figure out what's best for your body because, because everybody's in a different situation. And, uh, you know, one, something that might be really beneficial for one person could be detrimental to another, whether it's eating vegan or eating, you know, carnivore or somewhere in between, you know, there's so many different options out there and, and, and there's not one option that's perfect for anybody. I mean, you're right on the money. I say it all the time that like everyone's wanting to know that secret sauce in nutrition. Like what's right. the one thing? <laughs> the secret sauce is individualized nutrition. Like it has to be individualized. What works for me may not work for you. Yes, there's some overarching concepts that like everybody can probably eat more vegetables, but like it really has to be individualized because I can speak to that in my own experience. Point blank, I back at my old practice when keto was getting really big, I was like, oh, I'm a dietitian. I have autoimmune disease. I've seen some good literature talking about autoimmune and MS with intermittent fasting and keto. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to try it myself. It absolutely ruined my hormone balance. And so I'm here to say that there is a Goldilocks effect. I don't like to blanket statement intermittent fasting for the general population just because it can be really dangerous and it can be adding that allopathic stressor for one person and it can be reducing stress for another. 
Exactly. And I just also loved what you mentioned, Mike, about the the farming and, and, and buying local. I think that's so important. So I, uh, my parents actually own an organic dairy farm and they, um, oh. you know, and, and they, everything's grass fed, but they, they don't market that, you know, that's just what they do. And, and yeah. I know, you know, even though they are certified organic, it is very difficult to get these certifications and it's expensive, mm. you know? So a lot of these local farmers, they don't have the resources to go through this certification process. But you, if you talk to them at these farm stands in, in farmer's markets, they're probably going to tell you, yeah, my cows just eat grass. Yeah, no, you know, ask them what kind, if they get fed grain or what type of feed they're receiving. Do they spray their crops? Because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that at the answer, even if they're not, you know, labeled as certified organic, and it's going to be a lot more cost effective and you're supporting local, which I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And those, as I'm sure with your family, um, they have kids and grandkids growing up on that farm and running through the farm that they're not likely spraying the crop with glyphosate, which we've seen to potentially cause cancer and chronic issues. Right. So I think it's so relevant and it's like, open up that conversation with people, ask them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. You've had some great tips. So, but you know, what I would love to do, I always like to ask, uh, you know, my guests is, can you share a story about someone you've worked with? You know, obviously that was having problems with digestion uh, that, you know, and had a stress component that you helped uh, help overcome, you know, help them overcome their symptoms. Maybe share a little bit about what that journey looked like and the strategies that you guys use to get them to a better place. Yeah. Um, this is really like classic to a lot of the clients that I see. I tend to get a lot of clients with, with, uh, digestive issues and potentially spectrum autoimmune issues. And this client came to me, she was a 33 year old female, chronically constipated, high stress type A, go, go, go person had two previous C-sections with her previous babies after pregnancy went into kind of this like autoimmune spectrum, had some uh, deep ridden fatigue, was having issues with saliva production and like mouth dryness, which was later diagnosed as Sjogren's. And we also found that she was having like a lot of cortisol awakening issues. So like tearing at the sheets to get out of bed, like not the classic, like I'm a little tired in the morning, tearing out at the sheets. So honestly, starting out with her, I wanted to focus more on the lifestyle aspects before and kind of while we were waiting on testing results. Um, I ran a Dutch test on her and then we also did a functional stool test and the Dutch test is a complete hormone panel. Just making time for herself every day to use the bathroom was actually really important. She was not making any sort of morning routine that she could go to the bathroom and cultivate time like away from the kids that like she literally had to tell her partner, I am making time that I'm using the bathroom at this time and I need no one to bother me. And then I also had her get a squatty potty, which I'm a huge fan of for clients. So we started out with um, that as well as simple things like fluid and electrolytes. So she, a lot of times I see this, that people are either overhydrating or they're underhydrating. And if they're overhydrating, they may be just flooding their system without enough electrolyte and mineral support. So actually for her, it was pulling back a little bit on the water intake to add in some electrolytes to balance it, to help with moving things along, um, became super important. And also as someone who is an anxious constipated individual, when I see that combo, my brain goes to magnesium and she needs a little extra magnesium support, which ultimately helps with the anxiety. 
And then also moving things along better. She also needed a fiber supplement that was focused on drawing water into her stool rather than more of an insoluble fiber supplement, which um, she for years, people had told her like, you need more fiber, you're constipated, but she was having a lot of motility issues. So she needed more so the soluble fiber, similar to like chia seed, flaxseed to help her move things along. So we actually use like a higher dose of flaxseed, for example. I like to use food regimens when I pull. I'm huge on using kiwis to help with constipation too. They have great study support, better than prunes, and they're inherently low FODMAP. So people who are having a lot of bloating, digestive issues, kiwis, they do really well. But I'm like, you have to use them like clockwork every day, two kiwis a day. So we really had this focus point of starting there. But one thing that um, I always, this was part of my journey that I touch on with clients and I refer out for is anyone who's had a history of abdominal surgery or trauma, I refer them out to have some body work done. Um, so she worked with someone who did some visceral manipulation support because she had had the two C-sections, which was ultimately causing some like kind of, I wouldn't, I don't want to use the word blockage because it wasn't causing complete blockages, but there was some issues with um, leftover adhesions from those surgeries that needed working out. We also looked at her sugar intake, which was higher and balanced that more throughout the day by getting her on foods that were car had enough carb content to them, um, but were natural sources of carbohydrate and natural sugar. So things like sweet potato and whole fruits rather than doing like juice press on the go, which was a lot of kind of what she had or just grabbing little energy bites on the go, which were more like hits of added sugar. Um, she really did beautifully in the sense that a lot of the lifestyle aspects of this early on made a huge difference. Um, she knew a lot of the right foods to be eating, but we kind of had to reorient and move things around. Um, and then I also had her on some adaptogen support once I saw that her cortisol awakening response was kind of in the tank. And later on, she got that autoimmune diagnosis. The cortisol awakening response is so important for autoimmune regulation. So um, she was on a blend of adaptogen support in, in the morning time. Um, and then I also had her, like we talked about with fasting, shorten her fasting window because she was actually skipping meals and fasting too long, which was adding a bigger stress load onto her body. Um, she's someone who did end up integrating a fair amount of breath work, specifically low belly breath work. I wanted her to really uh, focus on opening that area of the pelvic floor where there was a lot of trauma and damage. And she was in fact kind of sucking in, holding her breath all day long, which is what a lot of women tend to do in our society. And it can wreak a lot of havoc digestively. So um, there's a lot that went into her, but that was that's kind of a, a bigger all-encompassing blanket of some of the things we did over a series of months. That's incredible. And uh, I mean, I just love how you're touching on so many important parts and just, you know, I, and highlighting how it's pretty complex. I mean, it, it's, it's not, not that people can't do it, but you need that guidance because that, there are a lot of factors and a lot of steps involved in what you just, just explained and uh, not to plug the podcast, but I love what you talked about with the, uh, with the visceral manipulation. We have a great podcast that people can check out with uh, Amy Healy, who's a pelvic floor therapist. And, and she Ooh. does a lot of visceral manipulation and dives into that, especially around digestion. And, and it is such Again, another thing that gets overlooked that people don't know about that can be no overlooked. so helpful. Oh, I can't and wait like, to listen to that. How many women get C-sections or abdominal surgery? You know, or there's so many th things that can cause scar tissue and, you know, affect the viscera. So I, I just, I love that 
I love that you talked about that and the squatty potty, which we have in our clinic here, because I'm a huge fan of something so simple again, that, that can Game make changer. a huge difference. So look at the squatty potties people, because it can make a big difference. Yeah, <laughs> well, that was awesome. And I'm so glad that she's doing better. And, 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 you know, I could just talk to you forever, but one of the things I wanted to talk about real quick, cause you keep uh, alluding back to it throughout, you know, the, the different stories that you've been telling is the importance of testing. I, I, I think, I think a lot of people don't, you know, they go to their primary care doctor or even their specialist, they'll go to their gastroenterologist and, and they get very basic testing, but you're not just making these recommendations based on people's stories. I mean, that's important, but you sound, you're using evidence-based information, evidence-based tests that, that to help figure out what the best plan is for them, whether that's the Dutch hormone test or the adrenal testing with the uh, cortisol awakening response or the comprehensive stool testing. I mean, these tests are so important and, mm-hmm. and they give us clarity on what's going on and where we need to start. And so many mm-hmm. people are not utilizing them uh, or in so many uh, patients out there don't even know they exist. So I'm really glad to hear you talk about those because I'm just a, I'm a huge fan of testing. I think it's, I think it's um, so important. I couldn't agree more. I love um, one that you didn't mention that I run with clients as well. And you may run it too. It's called the metabolomics panel. It's a functional <laughs> yeah. nutrient panel. That's, and everybody I gets love- it. Everybody gets uh, it. And, oh, I love it's it. It's the best because it's yeah. not just like a serum draw in time of your magnesium. We're actually looking at how it's functioning as a cofactor in the body. With magnesium, it's like we steamroll through it with stress because it's so involved right. in stress pathways, but also with the Krebs cycle and just energy production. It's like a cofactor in almost every single little step. So it's really cool to paint that picture for people of like, okay, how is that vitamin or mineral actually functioning? And is it doing its job? And then what is the appropriate dose for you? And so it goes back to what we were saying of like, it has to be individualized. It's right. because that person on Instagram is saying that they're tired and they take magnesium and it's helping them. We need to look at you in particular, and you need to advocate for yourself by working with someone who's then going to also be that partner in advocating for you. Right. And there's so many people out there. That's such a great point that are, that are, you know, again, trying to help everybody, but they're they're selling supplements or they're selling programs just based on symptoms or just based on Mm. a perceived diagnosis. And they're not individualizing it with testing. And I think that is so important uh, because, you know, just because you take a pill doesn't mean that you're going to digest and absorb it too. You know, we need Mm -hmm. to not Mm -hmm. only evaluate things in the beginning, but we need to evaluate our interventions as we implement them to make sure that they're working. And uh, that's where I'm, I mean, that metabolomics test, I think that's awesome. I mean, neurotransmitters, micro, you know, it's Mm -hmm. looking at the small intestine, it's looking at your mitochondrial function, methylation, all of the individual antioxidants, the B vitamins, the minerals, it is just like, it is is spectacular. So um, yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page about that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, <laughs> well, this has been absolutely phenomenal and you've been a wealth of knowledge and I really do appreciate you taking time to, to share, you know, your, your, what you do and, and, uh, you know, how you help people. And it sounds like it's pretty incredible. So if, for those of people who are out there who want to learn more uh, about your practice and, you know, what you do and want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for people to find you? Yeah, so they can go to my website. It's www.groundednourish.com. So my full practice is Grounded Nourishment, but Grounded Nourish is the website. I'm also at 
Grounded Nourish on Instagram. Um, I do a lot of real-time tips, recipes, all sorts of things through there. And then for any of you guys who are like me who like to get your hands dirty in the kitchen, my website has a lot of recipes. It also has a no sugar ebook. So for people who are struggling with like sweet cravings, they like to bake desserts, but they want to have things that don't have added sugar. They little or have little to no refined sugar. Um, I have an ebook that's all dessert on my website that people can go and find one of my favorite things. And I know you and I originally connected talking about our love for tiger nut flour and tiger nut things (laughs) because it's AIP friendly. And I have to say, I'm like the tiger nut queen. I think my Instagram followers are like, does she cook with anything else? So um, I have a lot of fun recipes and a a tiger nut granola that's AIP friendly, but um, it's, yeah, I am big on like, let's get in the kitchen in a way that's realistic for us. Not everybody loves cooking and not everybody wants to be in the kitchen for a million hours, but maybe you start with one thing, one new recipe that maybe you start with a bitter vegetable that you haven't tried before. Um, and I think too, just as like a last aside, the best place to start and the most important place to start if you're listening to all of us feeling overwhelmed is start with my rule of threes at meals. Like start with those three deep breaths three times because that cephalic or brain phase of eating is 20% of our digestive secretion. So how empowering is that? Like without the supplements and without the food, you are upregulating digestion by 20% by just you getting into a zone of like pre-gaming your meal per se, like getting into that. I'm slowing down. I'm thinking about my food. So I think that's such an important start there before you even go to the probiotic or anything else. That is awesome. And we'll be sure to put all of your information in the show notes so people will be able to just click on the link and and find you that way too. But you have had had such great advice and I really do appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to having you on again. Yay. Thank you so much for having me, Seth. This has been so fun. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. Don't forget, you can join the Grassroots private Facebook group to connect with fellow health seekers and find practical tips to improve your state of wellness. Just search Grassroots Community on Facebook to join. And if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and you're looking for a comprehensive program to reclaim your state of wellness with cutting-edge testing, a team of providers to hold you accountable, and a structured plan of action to not only get you well, but to keep you well in the years to come, check out our adaptation programs online at grassrootsfunctionalmedicine.com. Thanks again for listening, and have a blessed day.